Hey, good morning, all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. And yeah, you know, I guess I should say welcome back to us, huh? We've been off for a couple of weeks, so it's nice <laughs> to be nice to be. You know, we we debated whether or not we were going to podcast on the Fourth of July, and then it just figured like, nah, let's take the day off. Right? You know, we, the day when we celebrate overcoming tyranny. But you know, we'll just sit around. I mean, and it's work. the day that we celebrate the complete and utter disobedience of Romans thirteen. Hey, good point. Yeah, well, we just decided. You <laughs> Looking know at you, gonna, Jeff Sessions. We're going to throw off the oppression of leaders. That's what we're going to do. And it's just been nothing but easy sailing ever since. Uh, hey, Rob, lots uh, lots going on. Beautiful summer day here in Minneapolis. I'm looking out there, uh, 78 today, uh, low humidity, just downright lovely. Yesterday, though, felt like uh, I was squirreled away somewhere outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas, like you are. It was 93 and humid. Ooh. Just really feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, How is it we then? got some, we got some rain over the last uh, couple of days, which has been really nice. And, Congratulations. uh, yeah, we got some rain on Sunday, which meant yesterday as it got hot, um, the yard that I have not mowed in, you know, probably too long really took off so i i spent my evening last night uh weed whacking and uh and oh. also mowing the lawn doug do you do are do you weed whack are you a weed whacker well i yes i'm a big i i don't do my own lawn anymore i hire the neighbor wow. um so oh, the no, i don't yeah. weed whack but boy i'm out there watching oscar weed whack and, and I just love, I love everything about a weed whacker, including really, that I we call it a weed whacker. No, it's like, such a great it's, name. It's not a, it's not a grass trimmer. No, no, no. It is a weed whacker. It's a, it's a weed whacker. Yeah. I, do you weed whack every time that you mow or that well, you have I, Oscar mow? I, I did when, when I was in charge of the yard, I did it each time. But with Oscar, we tell him he has to do it every other time mm. because it's, it's a, at a, at a duty. Yeah, and we we pay, right. we pay him extra, and now we don't want to. We're not going to give a kid an extra three dollars. I mean, what, what is this? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> we're squirreling away money. Hey, kid. Hey, kid. Come on, my lawn, but don't weed whack today. I'm not paying you for that. I'm here to yeah, keep that, I uh, keep that money. Really, you pay him three at three dollars extra to weed whack? Yeah, we pay him twice the amount to mow, so we pay him three dollars to mow and three dollars to weed whack. Yeah, he has no idea how much things cost these kids. Yeah, they don't. You seriously do not pay Oscar three dollars no. to mow. No. <laughs> I'm like, I'm having flashbacks to the conversation I had with Whimsy this morning about how the tooth she doesn't believe in the tooth fairy anymore mm-hmm. because uh, her friends get a lot more money than she does, and she figures oh, if there was a tooth idea. fairy, all the kids would get the same amount. But there's probably not one because you know her parents are cheap. Uh, yeah, so I'm 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 feeling the same way for Oscar right now. Like yeah, you no, you no. seriously don't pay him three. No, we we right? actually overpay him, and his parents are oh. like, "Stop paying him that much!" Like it's he. How old is Oscar? Uh, he's eleven today. And, oh, Doug, uh, would you please ever, recreate ever told- the picture of Donald Trump yelling at the kid? <laughs> Mowing the lawn at the White House with you and Oscar. <laughs> that guy. Uh, and we're totally overpaying him. But, you know, and that, that makes you just think about school, Rob. And uh, today we're going to talk yeah. with Karen Chenoweth about what's going on in school boards. A lot mm-hmm. happening in school boards. We talk about politics around here, the common good. And 
uh, political imagination that believes we all do better and we all do better. Personally, Rob, I'm a big fan of public schools. I'm yep. a product of them. Um, not anything anyone would, you know, <laughs> want to recommend. Uh, but public schools and the public school movement, and specifically the high school movement from the you know early part of the 20th century, is the defining difference in uh, what happened in the 20th century in the United States versus other countries. An argument could be made. We're going to have a guest on who's going to argue this point, and I'm, uh, I'm one who's convinced of this, that the commitment of the United States of America to educate with public funds every child through grade 12 without a child having to determine a career path. Those choices are unique, were unique at, a at the time, and uh, remain uh, unusual uh, even to this moment. And the idea being that you're supposed to have equal education. Now, we know for a whole lot of reasons that hasn't happened. We can talk about that maybe as we go. But these are supposed to be run by local school boards. And that was another big decision that was made, was that schools wouldn't be run by the state. They wouldn't even be run by the county. They wouldn't even be run by the city. Schools would be run by a local leadership, a local association, a local board. These are called school boards. And for a lot of people, they're one of the early places where people get involved in politics. But it's supposed to not be partisan politics. It's supposed to be you know people from different perspectives that come together and help give leadership to the schools. Whether or not school boards are still a good model for running uh, a complex education in a diverse society is a, is a great question to have. But the commitment to public education and the commitment to free schools can it, it is essential. And since the high school movement, let me be a little luxury here for a minute. Since the introduction of the high school movement, there have been people who have rejected the notion, did not want free education for everybody through grade 12 publicly funded. They've been fighting it since the 1930s, since the 1920s, actually, and they're fighting it in 2023. They want to stop public schools. They often do this through public, through public charters and through private schools and trying to move public funds into private schools. And it's been a 100-year uh, uh, success and a 100-year battle to keep public schools going. So um, that means that in a lot of places, school boards become this, this, this pinnacle of uh, different views of how we should organize our yeah. societies. And that's part of the reasons yeah. that school boards become so important. And Karen is with us today, and she knows much more about this, and she will uh, talk to us about it and what's, what's happening in these school boards and why they're, why they're being so – I mean, school boards have turned you know, super wacky. Yeah. Doug, I, you have probably heard me say it longer than anyone else has that – because I've been saying this for quite some time now – that since the Republicans, since the conservatives took the Supreme Court, uh, school boards would be the – front line of the culture war. And we have absolutely seen that across the country. And, you know, they, they just tremendously important um, in terms of um, protecting um, freedom, protecting the opportunity for students to learn and, uh, and to try to hold back this, you know, push from the, uh, the religious right, the far extreme religious right in, you know, all sorts of different ways. So, and, and it's one of those things that, you know, school board feels like one of those kind of yeah. forgotten elections, you know, you, you, you think about, 
the people you vote for and wow, school board is, uh, yeah. you know, that's one of those, like, we got to hopefully find somebody who will be willing to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, right. and, and as it turns out, uh, school board elections are really, really important. All right. And a lot going on there. And we have someone who knows much more about it than we do. And that is Karen. Hi, Karen. Glad to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Uh, any, well, first of all, let's check in with where you are and how's the weather, because one of our little things around here is to remind each other that we do all live under the same blue sky. Well, we have blue skies here and it's a beautiful 82 degrees, not mm. terribly humid yet. Uh, we've had a real run of terribly hot, humid mm. when I'm just outside Washington in Silver Spring, Maryland. And when it gets hot and humid and it rains, it just becomes a steam bath. Um, Mm. But but it's a beautiful day today. And uh, at least we don't have the flooding of upstate New York and New England. Uh, The extreme weather just seems to not end. Yeah. Well, all right, Karen, so you know a lot of climate is changing. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Is that is that we got, an idea. we got a little idea around here we want to float to people. Maybe just the whole possible. situation is changing. Yeah. All right, Karen, you, you know more about school boards than we do. Why do you know so much about school boards and why do you care about them? Give us give us your your background on school boards. So I am a longtime reporter and uh, education writer, and I've been studying schools for a long time. Uh, I worked for a national education advocacy organization for 18 years, during which time I wrote four books and co-authored a fifth, not about school boards, but about schools. Um, Hmm. My beat, if you will, is uh, high performing and improving schools that serve children of color and children from low income families. So Hmm. the schools that we are told do not exist. That's what I wrote about um, the schools and districts. And um, last year I retired from Education Trust and I looked around and I wanted to do something to support democracy. And I thought, I will register voters in Pennsylvania. I will door knock, I will write postcards and so forth. And then I thought, you know, I do have this expertise. Maybe I can use it to help somebody. (laughs) And I thought about school boards and school boards being hugely important Uh, I haven't written that much about them, but they're hugely important. And here's, here's the thing about school boards. You, you've already mentioned they're very low information races. People are just grateful if somebody runs and they, uh, actually a shocking number of, uh, school board members have never run in an uh, opposed election. Um, many of them run, uh, Many of them actually, yeah, I mean, so they run unopposed and I've worked the polls. I know you can stop people in their tracks. They are walking through the gamut of election flyers and signs, and they know who they're going to vote for, for president and Congress. And, and I've worked for school board candidates and I've said, (laughs) do you know who you're going to vote for, for school board? And they will stop and say, no, I haven't thought about it. Who should I vote for? And, you know, they're just very low information, uh, very low turnout, even even 
people who vote all the time mm -hmm. will not vote for school board or will start doing like the choose candidates the way I choose horses in the Kentucky Derby. Oh, I like that name. <laughs> uh, Karen, I was literally going to say that as someone who is executive director of a voting group, I have never once made an informed decision on who I'm going to vote mm -hmm. for for school board. Truly, yeah. I, one time there was someone who I knew who had met yeah. something. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, Nancy's running for school board. I'm going to vote for her. Other than that, yeah, I have done what you have done and either just, you know, picked random order. <laughs> uh, if there's, you know, if it's like pick three out of five is typically what happens, I think, when the voting that I've done. It feels like the back of the ballot when you're voting for judges and they're all unopposed. It's just like, what are we even, why do I have to fill in these circles? Um, and I pick them on people's names and just ridiculousness. Uh, what, yeah. So, so I, I hear you, and and I I am guilty, guilty as charged. And well, I mean, I, many of so us are. So, I mean, so is it, Peggy. So is Peggy. Hey, and I everybody. <laughs> hey, listen, I I just want to say, I have had a school board candidate sign in my yard. So wow. I but, have because it it was a friend of mine who was running for school board, and so you know that yeah so peggy it's it's interesting i'm sorry peggy i was just looking at peggy's comment there being yeah. guilty karen um school board races are don't get a lot of attention but they do have like an oversized impact on people's lives you know when you think of so you know it, we've seen a trend with school boards lately uh -oh, making decisions froze. Uh, we still got you. Am I out, Doug? Am I here? No, I, I, got, I still have you. Peggy. Uh, okay. Peggy. Good. Karen. Grief. I'm sorry yeah, I did that. Yeah, no, no, no. I did it myself. That's what Peggy's naming it. Karen, we still have you? All right. So, okay. You keep going with your thought. My guess yeah. is that Karen's going to pop back into real oh. life in a second. Hi, Karen. We didn't lose you, but it yeah, looks like you, you froze you for a little bit. Or maybe I did. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're we're good. So we've got um, like we've got this sense that school boards are low, like they're low information races or that people aren't super engaged, but they are super important. Karen, have you have you seen an, an increase? Like, what have you seen in terms of an increase of the impact of school board elections on? you know, uh, where we're at as a culture and where we're at as a democracy. How do you, you were interested in being involved in protecting democracy. How did that lead you to school boards? What's the connection between those two things? So there are 13,000 school, more than 13,000, but I just sort of wow. round the numbers, more than 13,000 school districts. There are more than 88,000 school board members. Wow. So they are the most plentiful of all our democratically elected uh, uh, officials. Mm -hmm. a, a small percentage, a few percentage are appointed by mayors or executive officers, but 97% are elected by their local uh, constituents. And so they are in many ways the face of democracy. They are the people who have the most control over something that I think we all agree, which is uh, the mo arguably the most important thing we do, hmm. educate the next generation to become 
citizens capable of helping us become a more perfect union. Um, I mean, so roads, I mean, there's lots of other things that are important in people's lives, but education is certainly important. However, only a third of the electorate has, maybe depending on the jurisdiction, uh, has kids in school. Yeah. So, you know, they, they are the voice, not just of parents, not just of teachers, but of the whole. Hmm. And the fact that we have kind of, as a nation, kind of not paid that much attention totally. means that there is this vacuum of power. And local school boards have limited powers, but they're very important powers. And um, the right wing, the extreme right wing, has seen that vacuum for decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, this is not a new push. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's an increased push. Um, but the John Birch Society, you go back to the daughters of the, um, oh, I can't even remember the 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 name but the the daughters uh of daughters of the civil war you know oh, of yeah. the of the, the confederacy South, yeah the daughters of the confederacy um you know going back to the 20s you the ku klux klan in the 20s the mm. john birch society in the 50s you know it, this has been a long-term project and mm. in 2019 steve or 2020 well sometime around there um, Steve Bannon said the road to Congress yeah. is through the school boards. He yeah. saw that if we could get people voting in school board, they will also vote in Congress for Congress and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll guide them. Hmm. The same is true on the other side. Like yeah. if we don't want the extreme right to take over power, we also must pay a lot of attention to the most, um, plentiful of all our democratic, um, mm. democratically elected officials, and that is school boards. Hey, Karen, let me um, ask a real basic yeah. question. Sure. And, and okay, I'm, I'm one of those people that had four children go through public school. Uh, they've been out of, our youngest child now has been out of public school for 12 years. So I haven't thought about what's going on at the schools like I used to in a very long time. But even when we did have kids in the school, which was a lot of them for a long time. I don't know that I know what school boards do. What, what do they actually, what are they responsible for? I feel like I know what teachers do. I think I know what administrators do. I think I know what superintendents do. What's the role of the school board? And is it different in different places? Is that, is that, is it typical everywhere or well, are school boards different? There are some differences state by state in terms of what is expected by law, but for the most part, they, so this is the highfalutin thing uh, that I'm going to say, they establish the vision of the community. So do they, does everybody hmm. want all kids to have a good education through 12th grade without choosing, without having to choose a career as you, you know, as yeah. you just put it. Is that like, is that a vision of, for the community or um, would they really more prefer uh, kids to go out and work in sawmills and get killed? And I, I just saw a story <laughs> about a kid being killed in a sawmill in Wisconsin good. after the labor laws have been um, loosened. I, it's, it's so horrifying to me. Mm -hmm. I, I just, um, 
you know, what is the vision of the community? I, I, I hope it's, you know, as you described it, but, but um, it's to establish the vision of the community. More specifically, they hire and manage the superintendent oh. and they, uh, you know, so they're the ones who actually make the decision on who, who, who will run the school system. They're not supposed to micromanage, but they are supposed to keep an eye on what the superintendent does. And I would say one of their most important thing is to ask questions like, why did you make that decision? What's the evidence for mm -hmm. it? What, you know, how are you going to know if that decision resulted in the things that you wanted to see? You know, like all those kinds of questions that, you know, uh, a board of any organization should be asking. They also approve the budget um which is huge uh budgets are uh, moral documents or political documents <laughs> and they um and they act as the liaison between the school system and the general community mm. and other political bodies so some places like new york school boards actually set taxes that's unusual ordinarily they often have to go to the county council or town council or you know some other legislative body to ask for the money that they want to spend yeah so those are so, the three really big things wow. that they actually do. yeah so karen we've gotten school boards kind of in the news because of um things like you know book banning yeah. um use of pronouns uh you know curriculum. like all what's that curriculum curriculum you know like these kinds of things have become issues as more and more extremists have run and gotten elected to school boards they've kind of turned these turn these issues into things that can happen at that level and pull those levers of power tell us about you know are, are there any specific you know situations that are happening around the country where we're seeing school boards making you know decisions like this that um um you know that uh you know it would be be good for us to think about like tell us tell us about you know something that's some of the crazy that's happening around the country there's a lot of crazy that's happening <laughs> <laughs> so 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 what we're seeing and it's still a sm relatively small phenomenon uh it gets you know it gets big headlines because um that's what gets headlines extremism gets headlines the the ordinary boring uh workings of ordinary school boards don't get the headlines but mm -hmm. um I, one of the big things that i didn't say that school boards do is they set policies they they mm -hmm. enact their vision through policies so mm -hmm. for example every school system should have a policy about how to buy library books. What, you know, what goes into buying a school library book? It's not a willy nilly, like school librarians do not yeah. go to Amazon and just order the stuff that they want to order, right? <laughs> yeah, they right. have to read the, you know, there should be policies in place. They read the reviews of the books. They think about the general collection. They talk to teachers about what they're teaching that year and, you know, what would, what would kind of supplement and, and help them if they're teaching about the American Revolution, what are the books that would supplement that? 
So, I mean, school librarians work under a set of standards um, and school policies set the requirement, you know, set the parameters for those standards. There are also supposed to be standards for challenging books. And these have been worked out. I mean, the Supreme Court, by the way, ruled in 1980, 1982, something like that, um, that students have a right to read and mm. that li school libraries in particular should be places where they can uh, exercise their right of inquiry. Mm. And, and this was after a school board uh, 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 censored Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Slaughter, Slaughterhouse Five and a few other books. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that just because you don't like those books. Right. So we've been here before. This is this yeah, has yeah. happened before. This has all happened before. Um, and what what the extremists are doing are if they get the majority on a school board is they often put in place a policy that says one parent can challenge. Yeah. And then they encourage parents to challenge and they don't even require that they be parents in the school. Right. So anybody can challenge a particular book. And we've seen that in, um, I think it was Brevard County, Florida. Mm -hmm. um, one person objected to a slew of books, including Amanda Gorman's poem that was that she read at the inauguration. <laughs> and this yeah. is like the most bizarre, uh, you know, challenge. And um, but school boards should have policies around challenging a book because you know there are reasons to not have a book mm -hmm. in a sure. school library a friend of mine told me that her th third grade daughter uh, african-american ran across tintin in congo i mean this is a belgian mm -hmm. graphic novel done in the yep. 30s and 40s i mean it was just the 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 illustrations were as racist as you can imagine. And my friend, who's a journalist, she's like, I didn't want them to censor the book, but there needs to be some context for this book because my daughter yeah. just sort of ran into it as part of a fun little series. <laughs> yeah. And there ought to be some context for, for you know, racist books. So there, there needs to be policies in place to challenge books, mm. to think about what, you know, what the rights of students are, the First Amendment rights of students. You know, schools are kind of hemmed in by a lot of laws and policies, and school boards are the place where this all plays out on a local level. Did that answer your question? Yeah, totally. Or did I get did I get uh, distracted by? <laughs> Yeah, I'm a well, bit of a us, tangentialist. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, listen, I, I do this podcast with Doug. I totally understand. Um, <laughs> so, tell, is it Woodland Hills, Colorado? Is it what's the Woodland Park, tell, Colorado? Woodland Park. So, so tell us, t give us a give us a story specific about a specific school board. What's happening in in Woodland Park, Colorado? And why should why should people around the country care? So Woodland Park is um, it's it's under Pikes Peak, you know, so it's not far from mm. Colorado Springs. It's um, quite a red area, you know, politically, it's a Republican area. It's a traditionally mm -hmm. Republican area. And um, it had an election where people just weren't 
paying attention. And the extremists took the majority and the, the remaining non-extremist uh, quit. So they appointed another extremist. So it's now a full board of extremists with no opposition. Mm. And they have, um, you know, there's a certain pattern to when the extremists take over. They, first of all, they don't follow the open meeting laws. Mm. Now, every state has open meeting laws that school boards are, are supposed to follow. And often they say, no more than two members can can meet at any given time. And so if you ever run into a school board <laughs> at a party, you know, school board members at a party, they're like really careful to only be at, be with one other person yeah. if they're any, um, you know, if they're any, if they're any good, but they, because the point being that these decisions are public mm -hmm. decisions and need to be made publicly. Right. So, so, um, they immediately don't pay any attention to the uh, open meeting laws. So they've already they they've already clearly uh, violated that because they they come in and they just vote on stuff without any mm. discussion, without anything. They um, uh, they often kind of give contracts to cronies. Mm. Um, I mean, it's basically lawless, you know the laws don't apply to them. Mm. They don't have to study them. They don't have to follow them. And one of the things they've done is they've, um, they've given a charter to a school, a, a charter school and prioritized the charter school over the public school, the traditional public school, the charter schools. And they're, yeah. Yeah, often the, our the charter school is a classical so, yeah. curriculum, which is mm -hmm. kind of code. I'm, I'm not opposed mm -hmm. to, to studying the classics. Nobody's, you know, like nobody's opposed to studying uh, Latin, Aristotle, <laughs> yeah. Aristotle yeah. and, you know, Plato. But, but I, don't, I don't even understand what the appeal is, quite honestly. Uh, the, the only thing I can think of is that the you know, the founders of this country were steeped in the classics. And one of the reasons I think that's true is that Aristotle was such a proponent of slavery. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that I, I can't figure out why they're so enamored with the classics personally, but, or what they call the classics. I don't, I mean, have they read Antigone? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, Karen, I'm so happy that you just mentioned Antigone. I was, my wife, uh, when I was in college, my wife played Antigone and that was, that was when I met her and we began dating. So it's Antigone always has, it's, I mean, it's not a so happy play, but it, it's not a happy play, but it has a happy place in my heart. Well, I mean, that, that must have taken an emotional toll, you know, getting yeah. buried alive every night. Yeah. But Karen, what, yeah. um, So we, we've been at this high school effort, this high school movement, full education for every child, publicly funded for 100 plus years. Do you think the school board model um, is serving us well, generally speaking? Like, do you feel like somebody who's paid some attention to school um, reporting? Hey, 
this is this is a good system. We do end up with these places where some things happen. And look, I have a lot of conservative friends that live in places where they're like, man, our school board, it's just run by a bunch of leftists, you know, and <laughs> people that are like, it's run by a bunch of right wing extremists. So yeah, for sure that happens. But generally speaking, do you feel like this is serving well? Or are there people in the education movements today that want to suggest different ways to go? Because I know conservatives want to shut down the Department of Education and want to move everything, you know, uh, much more local and other people want to see a, a more integrated and more fair way of decision-making across school boards. Do you have a sense about where that's going and, and do you have an opinion about what, what would be better? Well, I, I don't think we're terribly well served right now by school boards, but when I ask conservatives and others, you know, so, okay, so what's the, what do you want? Um, what's the alternative? Yeah. I, I don't hear anything, you know, yeah. you just have, you would have a bureaucracy. I mean, cause somebody has to run the schools, right? So you'd have a, a bureaucracy unaccountable to a democratically elected board. That doesn't strike me as a great idea. Now mm -hmm. I will say like, it's uniquely American. Yeah. Germany does not have locally elected school boards there you we'll know you talk to a german and they're kind of like i don't understand this <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. how do you how do you even make that work um as i say i don't think we're terribly well served right now but i think that we're not being terribly well served by democratic institutions in general right now mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. answer to a crisis in democracy is not getting rid of democracy it's increasing it's increasing the engagement it's it's making people understand and feel the connection that they have a role in this that they can say you know they have a say in this that yeah. they need to express themselves they need to vote they need to get out and you know help shape these elections so you know in general i just think the the answer to a crisis in democracy is more democracy not mm. less I, democracy. I, I agree mm. with you totally. And that means that there's going to be times when people with different political views and different worldviews are in positions of power. That's what a democracy includes, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the that's what you want. The, that can be one. Yeah. That's of the actually what you want. Yeah, that's right. right. So they're going to live through these times, and we all need to stay more engaged in these in these places. Well, Karen, thank you for being with us uh, for this part of our our conversation today. Yeah, uh, Robbie. Well, yeah, you, maybe one final question, Karen. What are you, what are you doing now? You are actively involved in helping candidates who are running for school boards. Tell us just a little bit about that effort, and if if we've got someone who's a, a candidate or is thinking about being a candidate for school board, how they can how they can connect with you. Thanks for asking. So I, after I retired, I. I, I couldn't find anybody who was helping school board candidates. So I started an organization called Democracy in Education, and it's, it's www.assistdemocracy.org. Um, it's not terribly well search engine optimized, so assistdemocracy.org. <laughs> and, um, you know, basically what we have is publicly available information for anybody who wants it. One page briefs about different topics from critical race theory to school funding to 
um, the role of the school board is is coming very soon. Um, and we have podcasts. Uh, we have podcasts on how to run for school board and also on two communities that have stood up to extremism and one. Uh, one in Caneo Valley, California, where uh, you probably know um, uh, there's a very famous preacher who's in Caneo Valley in Ventura, not Ven yeah, Ventura County, Thousand Oaks, uh, hmm. Rob McCoy, mm -hmm. part of uh, Turning Point USA. Um, so they had an extremist board and they were able to uh, oust that uh, extremist board. The other is in Carmel, Indiana, which again, very red area and uh, community came. Actually, it, that's Hamilton County, uh, hmm. Indiana, where the Moms for Liberty used the Hitler quote which got a lot of notoriety um oh that's where yeah i mean so it it was posing a really serious uh threat and in fact their candidates won in nearby uh, uh hamilton Sound, southeastern but in carmel indiana the community came together and were able to defeat the uh extremists so you know so we have podcasts about those two uh those two campaigns and then we also are um hosting national calls and a private forum where people across the country can share questions share expertise share their experiences and uh we were very uh happy to have rob uh uh brief us at our last national call on the role of uh, uh, christian nationalism which as someone who does not come from that world, uh, is, yeah. you know, Welcome it's so all get out, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to, I want to shout you guys out because it's so wonderful to have folks decode that for yeah. the rest of us. Um, and, and be able to kind of let us in on this is what's really going on. And I really appreciate that. My, my connection was, did did you guys get young pilot when you were kids does that ring a bell mm -mm. No. No. my aunt my aunt sent us young pilot so that's my one connection to baptist <laughs> to baptist there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um so so if if someone's interested please go to assistdemocracy.org and fill out the contact form. I will Great. send you an email and let you know how, you know, I will ask what's going on in your school district. I will let you know how to get involved with us. We have a network now across the country. It's not large, uh, but it's a very serious community of people who know what they're doing. Uh, I organized the whole project around one guy running in Plano, Texas, hmm. and he won and his whole slate won. And wow. uh, the rest, uh, quite a few districts in North Texas, north of Dallas, uh, hmm. won along with him. So I feel like when communities come together, they don't want books to yes. be banned. They don't yeah. want religious education and, you know, doctrinaire yeah. religious education yes. in their schools. They don't want that. And we just have to let them know that th the other side's rather serious about dismantling public education and yeah, uh, replacing it with religious education. 
Yeah. Well, Karen, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you, you so here. much we for having me. We'll find, we'll find their way uh, there and find their way to, you know, politics for the common good. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rob thank and I you. Gonna, yeah. Rob and I are going to keep going and we'll chat about all the other. Uh, yeah. we. I mean, we need uh, to talk about like showless or shirtless Joe Biden and all sorts of stuff. Shirtless Joe Biden. Is there a shirtless Joe Biden? Incident? Yeah. You didn't see the video of Joe Biden on the beach in Delaware? No, does he is he fit? Does he have that Bruce Springsteen kind of physique? And well, listen, um, no. Okay. I mean, I all I know is my you know forty something year old wife when Bruce Springsteen walked on stage in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, you know she she let out a little gasp or pant or something, you yeah. know, you know, for seventy year old seventy two year old Bruce Springsteen. As so. No, I, it's not that, but he was, yeah, you didn't see the video of the president no, going shirtless? No, but you know, oh, I think it's because fantastic. I don't do Twitter anymore, so I yeah. just don't see that stuff. I mean, Are you on threads? Oh, I am on threads. Yeah, <laughs> I've been on Great. threads for six days now. Yeah, I have two posts yeah. on threads. Yeah. 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 Did, did you I, see I it on just... threads? Is that is that? No, possible? I saw it on Twitter. Okay. All right, yeah. let's see that. There we go. Uh, yeah. Tracks. Well, hey, uh, lot, lots of things happening around that uh, around mm -hmm. that world of uh, of the newest, um, you know, happenings in our in our politics. Um, but do you want to talk a little bit more about about school board stuff? Do you want to? Yeah, about that you know, you I just right into. Yeah, I mean, we can we can pivot. I mean, it's all connected. It's, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, these races are tremendously important. All of these culture war issues that you know, we're talking about from, mm -hmm. you know, that from CRT to book banning to, uh, you know, trans persecution, all of like all yeah. of this stuff, it like it's yeah. happening at the school board level. That's it. absolutely. And I mean, somebody mentioned in the chat earlier, you know, COVID masking, quarantining, yeah. all of that, like all of these issues mm -hmm. happen at the school board level. Yeah. And so these races that we don't know anything about are yeah. tremendously important. Yeah, but uh, makes us this comment uh, on, on our YouTube channel saying, look, this education is one of the, quote, seven mountains. Yes. And if people are familiar with that, they might know that seven mountains are these seven areas of influence that particular Christian people want to work in. And it's one of the one of the areas that Christian nationalists like to understand themselves. And that's that you're going to have key leaders of influence in seven areas of cultural uh, impact and education is one of those. So when people are running for school board or being superintendents or whatever, it's often seen as the call of God to make that particular institution of society more like the hopes, dreams, and imagination God has for the world. Now, this gets really complicated for people, right? Because any of us who carry a particular faith do want to see, as the famous old prayer would go, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That kind of idea, right? That there would be yeah. this this notion that these these things that you know are of God would be beneficial to people. The problem can be when people's view of what God wants for the world isn't good for people, uh, and that's what seems to be happening in a lot of these a lot of these areas. And um, and, and then Alex, as you were saying. Uh, responded by saying, look, COVID masking and vaccine mandates, he's really fueled a lot of this work. 
and frankly, for people who wonder partly like, why are things so bad? Because things were really bad in 2016, before 2016, and then Trump's election, and that just sort of added fuel, a lot of oxygen into the fires that were burning in this in this nation. But then COVID and the response of the federal yes. government, the state government, and local governments to COVID, that is what really pivots a lot of the hardcore, the new variant hardcore right-wingers. Yes. Who? Yes. So that that is new. And I know there's a lot of people who make the argument, there's nothing new, this is all the same old stuff, people have been arguing about, and that's true. <laughs> and there's a new version of it, right? Mm -hmm. There's a pickleball version of racket sports here. We've always had people hitting balls over nets. You know, shuttle volleyballing and shuttlecocks and <laughs> and uh, uh, tennis balls yeah. and then bouncing oh, yeah. them off of a wall and back onto a racket and mm -hmm. variants. Mm -hmm. But pickleball is a new sport. We know when it was created. We know the people that made it. We know it was named after a dog. So, did you know this pickleball? No, I did not know it? that. Yeah, because they had a dog. The people who invented pickleball, so adorable. Have a dog named Pickle. Yeah, and he loved the That's game. That's amazing. So they That's said, so great. Go in the yard and play pickleball. I have I have never played pickleball. I feel like I would love it. I I need to I need to figure out a way to play pickleball. I you, do. You do. I, it's easy. I, I have it's this easy to learn. And I'll just say, uh, I I was a college athlete. <clears throat> I have been yeah. very active in my life. I have done a yes. number of physical endeavors. Yeah, you're yeah you're an ultra marathoner. Ultra marathoner. I've biked across the country. Mm hmm. I remember. And I've hurt myself three times playing pickleball, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> injuries. Like I can't do other things because I got hurt playing doggone pickleball. Yeah, so, it's like wee bowling injuries. Um, yeah, don't just I would, jump in thinking, I would hey, like everybody I, does this. We need to we need to have some kind of comparison between pickleball and high lie. That's the game where you kick the ball with your foot. No, high lie is the one with like the. The big like loopy thing, and they threw it, and oh, yeah, oh. it was gonna be a big deal in like the sixties. I think oh. there, there's a whole uh, there's a whole sub story on Mad Men about High Lie, which is oh, I had that little racket when I was a kid that had the yeah. curve, and you had that little ball. That's that yeah. game. Yeah, what? I mean that's that's the based on it. That's the kid the, version of that thing. The kid version of High Lie. Well, in yeah. in the same sense that there's a new version of a racket. Yes. Wow, game. we're way off track right now. No, we're not, because this is this was an illustration, and this is what yeah. makes podcasts wonderful. This is why people listen. Uh, because you, you know what I've realized is not efficient in the world, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. Podcasts, like if yeah. someone's like, "Look, just just knock out all the stuff. I just want the cut the fat off. I just want the lean oh, meat. Just give it to me." It would be know, it would be four minutes long. <laughs> yeah. It would be four minutes long. You just want to. It's a. Podcasts are the lazy river of ideas. We're just <laughs> floating along here. So just as there's a new variant of racquetballs, of racket sports, there's a new variant of this right wing thing. We know when it yes. was innovated, and that was somewhere around late December 2019 to March 15th, 2020. In that period of time, that was the beginning of a whole new effort, which it's got a whole bunch of people into vaccine denial. There's a whole bunch of people into hating the deep state and health professionals, public health professionals. It just, it has yeah. unleashed a whole movement. And a lot of school boards are being taken over because people had, there is a, a social movement that I don't 
that I think is dangerous and shouldn't exist, this right-wing mega social movement. The version of it that's fueled by COVID response follows all of the classic elements of a social movement. And not all social movements are are positive. <laughs> There's a mm. lot of negative social movements. And this uh, is one that I would consider to be a negative social movement. Yeah. But but and, it's not just wackadoos just going around doing wacky things. There's actually a whole thing going on, some of which is controlled and fueled and some of which is happening yeah. more, more naturally. Yeah. And so often um, churches, you know, the religious right, there's, there's kind of this idea there there's a persecution uh mindset that that a remnant mindset that yeah. oh the the world is against us the government's against us you know they're trying to put us out of business they're trying to snuff us out they're trying yeah. to destroy us you know turn this into a godless society yeah. and and so from that mindset of a that persecution mindset the 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 shutdowns during covid were interpreted as the government is shutting down our churches the yes. government is telling us we can't worship the government is telling us we can't assemble and because of and and that is it, it it's not because there was some you know public health crisis it was because they were using this disease as a means of um, furthering their godless liberal agenda of shutting down churches. And, you know, so that's kind of the COVID connection with this Christian nationalism thing, kind of that's one of the, you know, one of the on-ramps. Um, yeah, that is so well said. And and look, I, uh, I'm not making this argument on behalf of people who hold that view. Mm -hmm. I will just simply say, when our government officials had to determine which things needed to exist for our society to move forward. Mm -hmm. They were forced into creating a, an order of importance. So we decided that restaurants needed to exist, but needed to limit how they distributed their foods. Mm -hmm. Spacing people out, all the rest of this. We decided people needed to shop for things because you got to have stuff and we don't know what's going to. So they put dots on the floor that told you to stand six feet apart. We did all kinds of things. We let transportation happen, public buses, airplanes. And decisions were made that said religious gatherings, they don't need to happen in person. You can't have one and space people out like you can at Walmart. You can't have one and have people sit next to each other like on an airplane. You can't have one and distribute it by the number of people in the building like in restaurants. You just can't have them. So that was a decision. And I happen to agree with that decision. And you and I both being pastors, we, we knew the impact of that. And it's safe to say that said something about government response to the importance of particular elements of our society. Yep. If, if, and I, I am not saying the world was better in 1952. It wasn't better in 1952. <laughs> no. 
or well, let's, let's say 19, let's say 1950. So, you know, we, we get, we get an even, I don't know, 70 years back or whatever. It was not better in 1950, but had there been a pandemic in 1950 and decisions were made to shut some things down, churches would not have been one of those. Synagogues would not have been one of those. Mosques would not have been included in those shutdowns. They would have found a way because the role of that, those religious institutions in our society was more prominent. So there is an argument to be made by religious people that religion should have been seen as something as important as a Walmart or a Delta flight or your dipsung restaurant. Like it's truly something that matters to people and is a part of the fabric and is not like, I don't know, a dance hall that should be closed. So that is an yeah. argument that I wish we could have, right? Here's, here's my point. I wish post COVID we as a nation could say, Hey, we man alive, we did some things, right? We <laughs> mobilized and we made some decisions. Should we look at the way those decisions were made and how they were made and what went into them and who made them and who got to determine state by state, what was considered to be a, a thing and, you know, figure that out. Maybe it wasn't best that we made people stand outside their, the care facilities of their aging parents and look at them through the window in their dying days. Like maybe those choices weren't the, the best ones that we could have made, even in light of what we knew about the spread of the variants and all, and all. just to at least have the conversation. But here's the thing. You, we're not having it, the conversation. People that are pro-intervention like you and I and uh, Vote Common Good and our organization are like, Look, no, we think we need to kick a bunch of stuff in and make some things happen and keep people safe. Because, you know, only 2 million people died, so not too bad, or whatever it was, you know, of the number of people now that they can, they can peg their deaths to, to the COVID virus. And people who think we should, you know, this is all a hoax and just nonsense and, you know, oh, yeah, what's up? What stopped COVID? That vaccine of yours? Just had two friends <laughs> say that to me in the last two days. Like, that kind of thing. They're not going to talk about any of this. They're just like, yeah, they're just the left wing wanted to shut down churches. It's just bizarro. But we, we don't talk about it. And we've just all right. moved on. You know, like it's like like we took a lesson out of Ted Lasso and just became a bunch of goldfish with short memories and just moved on on this thing. So I, I don't know, Rob, if you have any thoughts about that. But mm. as we've gotten further away from it, when I hear the critiques of the people that were bothered by school shutdowns, the damage that did to children and education. Uh, the shutdown of religious institutions and their meeting places, even though, having said that, it wasn't very long. I mean, schools were schools were longer, but churches were, I mean, it was, you know, most people missed the normal amount of Sundays that they skipped going to church anyway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was like a year's worth of skips in one, uh, in, in one little batch. But I do think it said something about us as a society, and I do think it's interesting that that there were that religion uh, overall mm. and religious institutions and religious meetings were not considered something that would be quote unquote essential services. Yeah. I, and, you know, to your point of, you know, not many people are having this conversation. Uh, it feels like the only person talking about this kind of thing is Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, you know, who's, who's critiquing, you know, the, uh, 
the COVID response. Um, and you know, so that's, I would love for, I would love for there to be some podcast. Should we reach out and see if we can get them on? Oh, you think I haven't tried? Um, (laughs) um, I, we'll get Alex and, and Yabbits and Kimberly and Jim on it. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll turn them loose. Yeah. Though it's, it's surprising. It seems like, uh, it seems like, um, RF, RFK Jr. Um, just willing to be on any podcast. Um, so totally that's, that's what yeah, I'm getting. Yeah. I, I just, I just heard an interview with him on the New Yorker radio hour on Sunday. Yeah. Did you, did you hear it? Have you seen no. you heard it? Well, it's a magazine that also puts out a radio show, uh, once a week. In fact, go, go back in their archives and you'll find a little bit about a little hour long episode about Volcom and good in there too. If you've never been to the New Yorker radio hour. But they've, they they do some other things as well as cover us. And they had uh, RFJK uh, on uh, RFKJ. RFKJ? Coming to you from RFKJ. It's 9.07 <laughs> in the morning. Um, that guy's a piece of uh, conspiracy theory. Yeah. You know, uh, purity. It is unreal. I mean, all of them. Just pick one. And the guy is like, Oh yeah, no, there's real evidence for that. Starting mm-hmm. with the assassination of his uncle, the assassination of his father. Yes. Area 52, vaccines, 51. autism. Mm-hmm. Oh, you only know yep. about area 51. No, there's an area 52. Oh, no, area, oh. I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Area 51. No, area 50. You know what area 51 is, Doug? Area 51 is the soundstage where we fake the lunar yeah. landings. Yeah, of course. That's why it's, it's got closed. nothing to do with aliens. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's because, just crazy talk. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous. It's, they can't let you see it. And they're going to keep it up because, you know, they might need to show us landing on Mars someday. Exactly. But he's just full of all that stuff. And, and he's right in the, he's right in the, right in the stream. Um, but look, uh, we, we're just a society full of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Trump was an anti-vaxxer early on. Jared and Ivanka, serious anti-vaxxers all the way through. That was one of their big things. That's what got a bunch of the chiropractors I know to be Trump supporters was the anti-vaccine mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton and John Podesta promised that they were going to release all of the UFO data that we have because they're pretty convinced about the <laughs> UFO cover-up that the government's been involved in. So I'm just saying that... I. When people are like, why would someone like this be attractive? Because generally speaking, as a society, there's a lot of uh, alternative theories in our world that a lot of people believe and, and yeah. hold to. Um, yeah. And then there's and some I real stuff, we're... too. And the real stuff is that we, we have not really taken consideration of the choices that were made for yeah. for any of the, the decisions. And we need to because there's going to be other closed downs and shutdowns and stuff that it oh. doesn't seem like that's that's um, never going to happen again. Really? Right. That's well, how, interesting. How, how, how old are you? I'm, I'm 48. So in 48 years, we already had one of these. Within the next 48 years, there's going to be another one of these, right? In the wow. next 40, 45 years, that's how viruses and stuff work. We're going to, we had one in 1912. We had a whole bunch of breakouts on other stuff that we got a handle on like polio and, and pox and all manner of things. We dodged a couple of them just sort of happenstantially. Unfortunately. Yeah. And we've had one now. Mad cow so, disease. Remember that? 
Remember that? It was like, you can't get beef from London. Because if you <laughs> eat that meat, it gets into your brain and you go all zombie. Uh, wasn't that what that was? The mad cow disease? Yeah. Like yeah. the problem wasn't that it was killing the cows. It was that, right? No, I think it was making the cows crazy. I don't know. I don't know. But wasn't the fear then that you couldn't eat beef? Because yes, because it, it would get because it, it would do the same to you. Did that I don't know. Ever... See, okay. it sure, we know far know more that. about COVID because it actually got to the level where we were at home with nothing to do but read about it. Mad cow disease, we just kind of kept going, much uh, like the I'm bird sure flu. One of our, I'm sure one of the people in the chat here knows this already, or if not, they can look it up. Did, <laughs> did anybody ever, did people get sick from mad cow disease? I, I mean, I know that sounds probably heartless if it's like, yeah, X number of people died from that and you don't even remember. I really don't remember. Do, do you have any memory if mad cow I disease happened? 232 people worldwide are known to have become sick of mad cow disease. Unfortunately, unfortunately they all died. At some point or from mad cow disease? <laughs> I believe from mad cow That would be great. In the history of the world, there's been 700 million people, uh, 7.12 billion people, and they've all died or will die. Turns out life is a terminal illness. Uh, all right. So confirm, yeah, 40 confirmed cases in the United States. Wow, this is an old website from 1999. Whew. Whew. Well, that was even before the big, you know, GeoCities. Yeah. Uh, but my point is we know about mad cow disease. Mm -hmm. We can talk about it now. And if you're telling me that that was 24 years ago, that's going to blow my mind. But 24 years ago, we know about this thing. We still kind of joke about it. And four zero people died, 40 in the United States. People treat COVID pandemic like that. Like, oh, that yeah. wasn't anything. Yeah. I mean, seriously, why do we yeah. have so I'm not saying we should yes. be blowing it off because now I don't know. We're probably going to get some YouTube challenge or something. Oh, seriously, we're going to get we're going to get dinged on YouTube for this conversation. It's unbelievable. It's Area crazy. 51 is where they it's the soundstage where they faked the lunar landing. I think that one's free to talk about. Is it? I, don't, I think so. I think you can talk about oh. UFOs and stuff. I don't think you oh. can. Well, I'm not talking about the UFOs. About... I'm talking about us faking the lunar landing. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I can, I conflated those things. Uh, the, <laughs> the fake UFO. How come so many people who believe that we didn't land on the moon? Also believe in UFOs? Yeah. That's like it's just a one-way deal? Like uh, yeah. apparently. They're coming here. We're not going there. Yeah. Whole civilizations came here to Egypt and built pyramids. <laughs> And yet, we couldn't just fling ourselves up to our little bitty moon right up there. Uh, yeah. You know. All right. Is that? Uh, is that? We didn't. That even, is. Uh, we didn't even get to the all the good stuff. Nah. Hey, did I ever tell you I sued my school board when I was in high school? Yes. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you Christian nationalist, you. No, no, no. I was trying to stop the. Uh, I was trying to stop the leftist fascists from telling me what I could say. I'm trying to stop the. Uh, and now they've switched sides. Now the telling you what you can and can't say comes from the right-wing fascists. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, that ever work? 
<laughs> never worked to tell teachers what to say, what books to put in the library. That ever? Never. Uh, never. That ever go well. All right. Well, uh, lots of comments. I feel like I missed a bunch of them here. Um, uh, zombie British beef. Okay, that's a great phrase. Zombie British beef. Um, Citizen Trump in Jim 2015. <laughs> Oh, Jim yeah. says there's going to be some black helicopters flying around my house uh, in a few minutes. <laughs> uh, you have no idea, Jim. You have no totally. idea. Hey, uh, um, those who enjoy this live stream and podcast, just know you, we enjoy you and we enjoy this yes. right along with you. And you know that that rule of and where people are like yes. hey, don't don't live in a no world don't live in a yes. but world live yes. in an and world have we have found... a yeah we have a we have a friend gretchen who if you're in a conversation with gretchen she always says she begins just about every sentence in a conversation with yes and and look that's a great transition mm -hmm. as opposed to no but right yes. way better for sure right yeah um, or even worse, I know, but that one really, <laughs> really gets you. Actually, I I have actually <laughs> I, I've I've come to the opinion that it's the words that follow and that are more important than the use of and. Mm -hmm. So look, we, we we love this podcast along with you and enjoy doing it. And. We're going to be off for the next week, but that's good news because uh, Dan and I, uh, Dan Dietrich, who you used to see on here and you will see back on here soon, is our, we, we, are, we are going to the Wild Goose Festival in outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, where we will suffer in the heat of um, some small campground outside of Charlotte in July. So that's this week. And we're going to record a whole bunch of podcast stuff from there. Some presentations, some interviews, some fun stuff. So might be some live things coming from there. We don't know the whole you know, access to the internet setup there. Um, but over the next couple of days, and Kimberly, I know this is going to be particularly tough on your schedule. We could just be popping up live streams at any random point in a, in a day. <laughs> um, or we might be recording some things and putting them up. So. This next week is going to be consumed with that. I'm going to get in a vehicle this afternoon and start driving to North Carolina and we'll bring you stuff and some people and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, we're going to be away uh, here on the podcast. So a good chance to go back through the YouTube videos and watch some of your favorites. <laughs> just sort, of, just sort hey, of relive some moments. I'll be right here somewhere outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Why don't you come to Wild Goose Festival with us? Hop in your car and drive on over. I don't know. All of you, any Maybe literally anybody, anybody listen to this thing <laughs> Maybe right I now? Should. Uh, you should drive to North Carolina. I mean, you got to get all the way up to Charlotte, but you know. All right, uh, yeah. Thank you for the safe travels. Uh, we'll do what we can. Um, I'll take that as a uh, as an encouragement, not an order. Um, but I will. I will not be driving recklessly. Uh, all right, y'all. So we will. Um, we'll see you somewhere from North Carolina or. Uh, in a week. All right. Goodbye.